right then. Excuse me, another pleasure to welcome you uh, this afternoon. Uh, my name is John Chalcraft. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Government here at LSE. I work on uh, history of labour and of migration and of um, social movements in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, the idea in this seminar is that we get a chance to give uh, Frédéric Verrell's paper, which we've all read, a thorough going over. Uh, we, you know, we aim to give him a run for his money. Uh, uh, and uh, so it's a discussion format, which means uh, Frédéric is going to speak for 10 minutes, then Noel Mustafa is going to discuss for 10 minutes, and then it's more, the, the, what follows is more than a Q&A, it's a, more like a discussion. Uh, but, you know, we will be asking questions, of course, but it's more like a discussion, and that goes on until, you know, we run out of steam around 6.30. Uh, and then, okay, so if you make sure your mobile phones are turned off. Um, so the idea is, um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome uh, Frédéric Verrell here this afternoon. He's an associate professor in the School of Political Studies at the University of Ottawa. We have his paper here, How Self-Limiting Mobilizations Work, Morocco to the Bedside of Social Movement Studies. Um, and uh, Frédéric uh, got his PhD in 2005 at Aix-en-Provence in the Institut d'études politiques. He has a very long string of publications. I mean, there's an important recent book which has come out in French in 2014, which is called Politique et Mouvements Sociaux au Maroc, La Révolution des Amorcés, uh, Politics and Social Movements in Morocco. Uh, what did we say des Amorcés meant? Uh, disarmed, the revolution disarmed, revolution incarcerated, no. <laughs> and uh, this came out with uh, Paris, in Paris, the Presse de Sciences Po. He also has this major edited volume with uh, Michel Camot, which is Soulèvement et Recomposition Politique dans le monde arabe, came out in Montreal in 2014. Didn't you tell me it's about 175,000 words or something? It's quite a big, yeah, it's stonking five. volume. It's two, two books. <laughs> right. And so, For one. And... Uh, and he also has this edited volume with Joe Biden, which has received a lot of circulation in the UK and the US, Social Movements, Mobilization and Contestation in the Middle East and North Africa. Certainly I've been using it in my teaching the last two or three years. So it's a big pleasure to welcome Frédéric, uh, really in terms of understanding contestation and social movements in Morocco since 2011. I, I can't think of a, of a better person on the, on the world stage to be here. So it's really a, a pleasure to have him and to be able to discuss this with him. Uh, you can tweet about this event, I think. Is that right, Sandra? We can still tweet. Uh, so the hashtag is LSEVAREL, V-A-I-R-E-L. And I'll sort of try to discipline you to your ten minutes, and then and then the ten minutes that Noel is going to uh, take. And um, and you know this is part of the research network, which is called Social Movements and Popular Mobilization in the Middle East and North Africa, which is funded by the Middle East Centre and the Government Department, and is also very ably organised by Sandra Sphere over there, who I would like to thank very much as well for organising this. Okay, Frederick. 
Uh, let's welcome him in the traditional way. Um, thanks so much, uh, John, for the presentation. I, I don't think I, I deserve the whole thing, but, uh, well, yeah, I, I published a, a few books uh, in the past few years. Uh, thanks to, to John and, and for the invitation, and thanks to Sandra for organizing the, the, the whole thing and for circulating the paper. Uh, thanks for having reading me. Um, I'm very honored to be here at LSC and I'm, I'm very proud um, uh, to not only not that Morocco is on the map of social science, but uh, that uh, I can help to have Morocco on the map of, of uh, global uh, social sciences. Um, the paper I am presenting is drawing on observations and fieldwork in Morocco for about 15 years on contentious and collective action. And as, uh, as John mentioned, I, I started with my, my PhD, and at the time it was uh, one of, of the very few places in the region where um, you could do fieldwork with the conditions I could do, which basically mean uh, I could do fieldwork, and then I could do fieldwork on, on social movements. Um, I start the paper uh, with a look at what the sociology of mobilizations and, and contention has produced about self-limited uh, mobilizations, and I explain why I'm not uh, totally convinced uh, with the state of literature. Uh, if you have a look uh, to what has been published since the elaboration of um, what is called now uh, social movement theory, I prefer the idea of social movement studies. Uh, during the, the, since the, the, the 70s, uh, you, you will see that the main object of the field has been uh, the disruptive dimension of large numbers and protracted uh, mobilizations. Most of the literature deals with contentious politics, the civil rights movement, civil rights movements, uh, the anti-war and anti-nuclear movements, the LGBTQ pride movements, environmental protests, whose magnitude, claims, and political agendas, but also repertoires and numbers of activist groups were disrupting uh, public order. And an example, an example among others, is that the, the Wiley Blackwell Encyclopedia on Social Movement and Political Movement by David Snow, De La Porta, Clendermans, and Macadam in Oxford, has no sit-in entry. In that perspective, the literature on the Middle East and North Africa is no exception, since most of it deals with Islamism. In other words, a revolution as a master template, and uh, I quote Macadam and Sewell, is not only a native concept, but it also contributes to the definition of this autonomous subfield with its, with its uh, toolkit, specialized journals, funding, and academic careers. With all the risk you have when you are uh, autonomizing a, a subfield in social sciences, which means you are sometimes rediscovering uh, what has been uh, discovered <laughs> long ago, if uh, discovering something in social sciences means something. And in the second part of the paper, I'm taking round of my observations in Morocco, and I describe uh, several mobilizations, the human rights movements and the victims' mobilizations of the years of lead. 
the women movement around the personal status code reform, Islamist mobilizations, even one may think this could be a counter-example, and finally the 20th February movement mobilizations in 2011. And in this part of the paper, I explain that the main feature of the Moroccan contentious space is self-limited mobilizations. Uh, by contentious space, I mean a space of practices, of shared competencies, and uh, understanding of, uh, of the political. I mean, uh, beyond their uh, uh, ideologic splits and div divides, um, people acting in the contentious space um, have an activist view of politics. And I oppose them to people working in what I call institutional politics, which is more or less party politics, trade unions, uh, which are um, acting uh, in relation to rules uh, and to institutions. For example, uh, uh, the, the king's uh, the king's speeches, who, which opens uh, every year uh, the parliamentary session. Um, so, what self-limitation um, means? Uh, it means that actors calculate their moves and choose very cautiously the numbers they mobilize and the moments they decide to do so. And uh, in the last part of the paper, I explain how and for what reasons the 20th February movement fits in this framework and how it can be easily described as an here and the continuator of the Moroccan contentious phase. So, um, first, what self-limitation is, where does it come from, and how is it used by social sciences? Uh, as you may know, self-limited revolution was first a political notion elaborated by Soviet dissidents in order to rethink their situation, their practices, and what they understood as political from within um, the Marxism. It is one of the main concepts of uh, Jean Quinn and Andrew Arato's political theory book, and um, uh, I don't have to mention that uh, Arato was one of the people thinking about a self-limited revolution from within uh, uh, the Soviet bloc. Self-limitation processes have not arisen much interest in the sociology of social movements, and the notion has mostly been used in normative books about the green movements, and there are a few works about small or constrained mobilizations. And part of this literature is concerned about linking resistance to contention, and uh, we could uh, epitomize this new trend in contentious politics analysis by uh, saying, if they mobilize, it is because they were already resisting. Um, to me, two features are important from a contentious politics perspective. First, uh, the public display of, content of collective practices, which, depending on contexts, works as a real marking of actors. For example, if you are organizing a sit-in, it means that you can be photographed or filmed by a journalist and then appear the, the day after in the news, but also by the police. And this is quite contrary to resistance and hidden transcripts, which uh, James Scott has described. Uh, by definition, hidden transcripts and practices of resistance are remaining hidden. Uh, second feature, these practices have different costs 
perceived by actors and by authorities who can punish or repress them. If you want, there is a price tag in the form of differential penalties or sanctions, as Albert Ishman uh, would have said. In other words, one of the main features of contentious politics is the possibility to express and signal true intensities. And I quote again Yashman. So, to me, the continuity between resistance practices like telling jokes and laughing at the regime in private, like, or writing one's disapproval on a street wall, like writing a cap on a wall, and contestation is not a problem whose solution can be found in a theoretical model. It is an actor's dilemma solved on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean the former resistance does not necessarily lead to the latter contention. And authorities make no mistake about it. I will be very brief on the, the four examples uh, um, of how protests, protests work in Morocco during the 90s and the 2000s. But as I mentioned earlier, as diverse or opposed their ideologies and practices might be, human rights, feminism, Islamism, the main activist groups of the Moroccan contentious space share a common aversion to risk whose consequence is the self-limitation of their mobilization. And I take as examples the Moroccan Forum for Truth and Justice, women mobilizations around the personal status code, I also explain how justice and beneficence refuses that the movements get out of hand or out of bounds. And my last example deals with the 20th February movement. So to conclude, the perspective I wanted to present in the paper focuses on constraints and on violence effects on activist careers and contentious practices selection. Or if you want the effect of uh, huge violence exercised on movements and activists on the long run. And in the medium term, self-limitation proceeds from political learning regarding allowed forms and means of action. To me, the sit-in is a restrained way of expression, which, which is today the most used by Moroccan activist groups, but it is also a mean of expressing constraint at the same time. But what is important to note is that authorities are also subjected to these learning processes, especially security forces. You can have, like, uh, on, the, on the, the, the Sunday following uh, the 8th of March this, this, day, uh, this year, um, uh, thousands of people walking in the streets of Rabat without uh, a window broken. Protesters' restraints Restraint doesn't never reflect shared expectations between population and authorities, nor a conception of legitimacy. Or, if you want, self-limitation does not fall within the scope of a moral economy. In the slogans they shout, in their stances or during interviews, activists distrust authorities. So we are not like in, a, in, the, in the model of a, of a moral economy where you've got big people and small people and where you got, got like shared expectations between between the roles of the roles of of, of both of them. 
and uh, the, the, the activist restraint comes from careful evaluations of what is it possible to do and also on the acceptable forms of protest. Thank you for your attention. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you very much. And it's also a pleasure to introduce uh, Noel Mustafa, who is our discussant over the next 10 minutes, and she is a uh, graduate student here at LSE uh, in the Department of International Relations, and she is working generally in the field of, sort of critical contentious politics and social movements and uh, is developing work especially with a, 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 a PhD looking at especially 1919 in Egypt, right? And, uh, and so um, thank you very much for taking this on and we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Uh, well, first I'd like to thank <coughs> Professor Barrell for the excellent paper. It was very interesting. Um, I think I would like to start off, I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate here, and I hope I don't come across as too pedantic. Um, I wanted to raise, I think, a few theoretical points about the way that you situate yourself in the discussion uh, before getting to the empirics. I think um, what the paper does, actually excellent, like the, the, what, what I really enjoyed about it, was the fact that you take social movement theorists and scholars of contentious politics to task for not really providing an adequate sociology of self-limited uh, performances, if you will, practices of dissent. Um, and so in that regard, it kind of forces us to question the distinction between regular practices of resistance, like James Scott's uh, hidden transcript, for example, versus the more public, um, exemplary types of contention. It also forces us to question categories such as transgressive versus contained contention that we get in the literature. Um, I think the first question that came to my mind as I was reading the paper, though, is I wondered why you were really critiquing social movement theorists, especially resource mobilization models, political process models. And the reason is that when we read works like Dynamics of Contention and the later works by Tilly Tarot et al., so to speak, they basically critiqued those models. They seem kind of pardon me for saying this, a bit dated by now. So I guess I was wondering why you weren't really engaging their latter works that were more recent and had already established that critique. Um, namely, on the one hand, they were critiquing social movement theory for an ontological tension, for example, for looking at opportunities, threats, and constraints, but not the causal mechanisms about perceptions of opportunities and constraints, a tension that I wonder if it inadvertently gets reproduced in what uh, you're writing. Um, also, they previously addressed that issue of focusing on movements as opposed to, for example, networks of contentious actors and protesters. So they've kind of pushed us in the direction of not exclusively focusing on the movement, but accounting for other forms and varieties of contention, so to speak. So I think if I had an initial suggestion, it would be to actually engage this more recent revisionist literature on contentious politics more than social movement theory possibly, um, but, but here, but you can present your critique as they still do not provide an adequate theoretical framework for understanding uh, contentious activities that are self-limited, that are public, so to speak, but deliber deliberately self-limited as opposed to other types of episodes of contention. That's where I see your intervention here. Uh, moving on, though, that also begs another question for me in terms of why Tilly's works on regimes and repertoires, uh, if I remember correctly, was either not cited or not really engaged. 
even though Tilly's other works were. Uh, because the way I understand your argument is that, you know, this institutional space, there's a mutual constitution between the type of regime, the types of political structures in place, and the types of spaces that are created for certain uh, practices of contention, so to speak, though you can correct me if I'm uh, misreading that. So I think, you know, Tilly has this very rich theoretical framework that you can either accept, reject, engage with concerning this mutual constitution between the types of regime and the types of repertoires of contention that evolves. Uh, so that seemed like another lacuna that was present in the paper, so to speak. Moving on, um, there's another factor that I also wondered that you could easily tap into, actually, and I admit my being partial coming from international relations here. I wonder, what about the global? Like, what is the role of the global in all of this? Because as it stands, the argument seems to argue that um, if, you know, demonstrators, for example, deliberately limit themselves, it might be due to contingency of worrying about the situation spiraling out of control. It might be due to the regime and they're really constrained in the types of space as a history of regime challenger relations, right? Um, but there's this really interesting global context that's going on that you allude to, but it's not really brought out. I mean, it can really be teased out here. And it's tied to this issue of self-limited revolution. Um, there's another literature here that you could engage easy. Uh, George Lawson here at the LSE does it on negotiated revolutions or even democratic revolutions that Mark Thompson discusses. And it begs the question of why those types of self-limited activities, whether they're revolutionary or otherwise, uh, become more prominent you know, in the latter part of the 20th century and the 21st century. What is going on in international relations that is causing this? Um, and so there is a literature, for example, in IR, and I'm happy to pass on readings afterwards, that discuss how global orders constitute local spaces for resistance. So I wondered if in the conclusion you were too quick to dismiss legitimacy. Um, even if we divorce legitimacy from a moral economy, so to speak, it begs the question if actors, for example, deliberately portray themselves as nonviolent, portray themselves as limited, as not engaged in radical projects of social transformation because they're concerned about their targets of contention. You know, who are their audiences beyond the regime? Is it external allies? Is it external activist networks of NGOs and international organizations? Uh, you know, they're very aware there's this global context that constrains what they're able to do in terms of how they're perceived as legitimate actors. Um, and so I think there also begs a question about global power relations, too. So there's a whole literature in IR about governmentality studies and the impact that global power has on global discourses. So we have neoliberal discourses about democracy and development that affects activist counter-discourses on the ground. So I just was left wondering if those types of factors possibly are affecting these practices of self-limitation, so to speak. The other issue that I wanted to bring up, which I mean, it's a bit of a pedantic, nitpicky issue, uh, was the fact that you mentioned self-limited revolution as a concept goes back to Soviet dissidents and discourses. And um, I just wonder, does that inadvertently reproduce a Eurocentric narrative of modernity? If we think back to this region and this region's rich history, the concept even of constitutional and democratic revolutions, whether self-limited or otherwise, uh, can be found in the Ottoman Empire, their constitutional revolutions. Um, as John Chalkoff was mentioning, Egypt, 1919, before Soviet dissidents were discussing this, Egyptian revolutionaries in their anti-colonial struggle against the British were discussing the need for a self-limited, negotiated, democratic type of revolution. 
but because of these Eurocentric narratives that tie revolution to an outcome of state-led transformation that do not open up the discourse for analysis, we kind of marginalize those types of struggles. So I would say just be very careful about describing you know, where the meaning of these types of revolutions come from in a way that ignores the contributions uh, beyond the West and within imperial context in particular. That said, I think I have one final point. I'm actually going to cut myself short so that we can have more comments from the audience. I'm really interested in what other people had to say here. Uh, tied to this global context, for example, in the empirics, you mentioned Moroccan NGOs learning from the case of Latin America, and you can even say South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And so, again, I was kind of wondering, were there cross-national ties between activists across borders? Were they diffusing certain ideas, certain tactics of resistance? So I think the big takeaway here is how to not treat the local as parochial and ignore these global constitutive effects. Uh, so on that note, I'm going to end, and thanks again for the paper, and I look forward to hearing what everybody else has to say in the audience. Right, thank you. Okay, great. Well, we said we'd give you a run for your money, but that doesn't mean you're excluded from having, you can, you can have a, a say now and before we open up the discussion, but thanks very much to Noel Mustafa for that, uh, yeah, raising a lot of important issues. Uh, thanks so much for the, the, the questions and the, um, and the propositions to 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 re rewrite or re-edit the paper. There are a few aspects uh, which are not in the paper, uh, but uh, which w you would uh, find, I hope, if the book is translated in English, uh, that you would find, um, because since. Um, since John explained, uh, it was like a 9,000 word uh, paper, so there are a few things which I uh, let a part of the paper because I was uh, running out of room. Uh, and one of these things is um, cross-national ties between activists. And it played at least on two of the movements or which we should say free with the 20th February movement. Um, there were uh, relations and meetings between the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, Argentina, and uh, the, the uh, uh, what we call, call in Morocco the families, uh, which are uh, families of, of former deta political detainees and uh, disappeared persons. There were, of course, also um, many ties between uh, uh, women NGOs and uh, um, international uh, women NGOs and networks, and uh, uh, many of them are recognized as uh, uh, in the ECOSOC uh, network, uh, United Nations um, uh, network. Uh, and this leads me to the question of the kind of the modes of actions which are promoted by international actors and donors. And uh, maybe I should have more insisted on that in the paper. Um, obviously, these modes of action are uh, more than self-imitated. They are uh, promoting uh, the participation to public policies, uh, or if you want a, a desactivism, uh, 
uh, they are promoting uh, participation and uh, um, uh, cooperation with with public authorities, which means uh, that they they the latter part the activists uh, stands in order to have uh, NGOs which are working with authorities, not against, or not criticizing. And uh, one of uh, these modes of action, uh, which is mostly promoted, is uh, the report, which is uh, something uh, that usually is not uh, that activist. It's, not, uh, it's something to, to write reports or to, uh, to, uh, to take to the street, for example. I mentioned yesterday also that uh, uh, when uh, in, in between 99 and 2000 uh, leaders of the Moroccan Truth and, Re and Justice Forum were quite disappointed because they, they, they asked to the, the European Union uh, for a grant to, to, to build a memorial uh, which was uh, both an NGO and uh, like um, a databases of uh, disappearances and uh, political detention and uh, gross violations of human rights and the at the time the EU uh, the position of the EU was was it was too political and they were they are still promoting and um, I, I I will finish this on the question of modes of action they are always promoting gradual reforms. But maybe I, 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 I should have m much more mentioned this part of the, this in the paper, but it's uh, much more elaborated in, in the book. Um, about the question of Eurocentric narratives, um, I, I started with uh, self-limited revolutions as um, um, a former Soviet Union concept and then deriving from there to uh, US uh, political theory and then and then, but it's not me who choose the the, the the way things circulated. It is because my activists, if you may, if I may, or the activist I was meeting, um, explained me that when they were in prison during the 70s, they were interested in what was happening there, and this helped to them to reformulate their practices the understanding of the political situation and, and at the time they were following what was happening um, uh, in, in the Soviet Union. Of course some of them uh, uh, which were Maoist at the time were also uh, interested in, in the Chinese experience or in the Palestinian uh, experience of uh, revolutionary experience. But on the question of, uh, of self-limitation uh, they, they, the, the, the things were circulating the, the way I indicated. It's not me who choose uh, uh, the way things are circulating. It's uh, I'm, I'm borrowing from the actors. Um, um, as I mentioned in, in the beginning of the paper, uh, I was I found it quite striking that in in an in such a big encyclopedia as the, the, the Blackwell, Wiley Blackwell Encyclopedia, you don't have a, a, a sit-in entry. You have uh, entries about uh, the, the civil rights movement, you have entries about feminism, uh, about, uh, well, hundreds of entries, but there is nothing about sit-ins. 
and to me it's qu it's quite revealing that uh, people like uh, uh, Macadam, Clendermans, De La Porta, or David Snow, which are the uh, big big figures of the big big uh, uh, actors of the, of the field, dominant actors in the field, uh, choose not to have a, a sit-in entry. And I checked the tables, and I rechecked the tables, and I was. <laughs> I was uh, trying to find it in, inside inside the, 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 the third volume, and, and there was nothing. Um, this is why I'm not so convinced by the, the, the re-elaboration of the model. Uh, and I think it's more like the reassertion of, uh, of, of mainstream. And uh, at one time, they were quite, for example, on the question of... Wh uh, which model, Frederick? Uh, the, the model of... Dynamics uh, of contention. Yeah. Yeah, like and and, and even the yeah, yeah and 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 the, f the former one, okay. it's like uh, it's like more like uh, uh, couches, but the, the you don't you don't ch change the, the fundamentals. Um, and for example, at one time in dynamics of contention, they were quite um, like uh, forgetting the, the 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 question of political opportunity structures. But if you read. Uh, Contentious politics by uh, by Tilly and Taro, which is uh, like more or less like a, the handbook for understanding uh, dynamics of contention. Yeah, if you uh, try to read it, it's quite complicated. Uh, so it's the handbook to to understand the the, the first one. Uh, they 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 come back with uh, the question of political opportunities, uh, and they reassert it. And if you read, for example, mobilization, uh, the review of the field. Uh, in every journal, in every venue of the journal, you have an article with, uh, with the question of political opportunity structures. Even though you've got the left of the field, like uh, Jasper and uh, Goodwin and so many people who have explained, it's a very structuralist and uh, uh, understanding of context, but they, well, you, you, even if you, you can change uh, something who, which has in giving you uh, academic and uh, an intellectual success, I think. Mm. Um, Can I just flag the significance of this? This is quite a funny moment because, and we have this in this seminar series. The other day we had Maha Abdurrahman, who's written a whole book about how civil society doesn't is useless and doesn't lead to democratization. She said in this seminar series, "Well, I've gone back on my opinion on that now," and I wanted to mention this because this. I mean, the book that Verrell and Bynum edited is the main reference book for thinking about how the dynamic and relational approach that was uh, uh, written by McAdam, Tilly and Taro, uh, 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 the main reference for thinking about how that approach can help us understand <coughs> protests in the Middle East. And we know that one of the editors doesn't believe in the framework, Joel Bynum, because he was here the other day. Uh, because he's more of a Marxist political economist, and now we know that the other editor <laughs> doesn't believe in the framework either, which is you know good to know. But I mean, it, 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 I mean, you know, why not? That's you know, we, we exist to be to be critical of these things. But anyway, I just wanted to mention the, the significance of that point. <laughs> I, I, well, that, that's that's funny because I don't think it was the the, the intellectual project of uh, we had with with Jewel with uh, the, the the volume it was not to but to it's make what you say in the introduction <laughs> <laughs> no okay uh, no okay. It, it's 
we, we didn't want it to make dynamics of contention in India at all. We, we were discussing, but uh, it's not like an, an application or it's yeah. not the way I am, I am thinking about, yeah. about sociology and, and, and social sciences of, uh, of the politics. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the paper and, and the whole book, if you want, and, and uh, the things I've been writing in Morocco for the, 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 the past few years are at the same time drawing on very important pieces of work by Charles Tilly, which are about uh, repertoires of contention. And this is one of the concepts, of the, the, the first concept of, um, of from mobilization to revolution, which have not been very well worked by the field. And uh, the, this attention to practices, to what people do, and to, and for example, to what they do in the streets, and what it reveals us of uh, their, uh, their, their universes, their political universes, the way they understand their relation to authorities, the way they understand relation to their allies to their, and to their uh, adversaries or enemies, uh, has not been uh, much worked. Uh, or, or at least it was not at the center. And to me, if we are working as sociologists on social movements and mobilization or on contentious politics, we have to start to work on practices, what, what people are doing and what they are thinking or feeling if they have uh, like calculations about yeah. their, uh, their action. All right, so let me jump in then, especially because we do want to flesh out some of these practices that happen on the ground in Morocco. So the floor is open. <coughs> I was actually, first of all, I apologize, I didn't actually receive your paper, so I didn't read it, so that, uh, I have to say that from the outset. Uh, second, I would just like to uh, say whether the Moroccan case, compared to other uh, movements, social and political movements within North Africa, is sort of unique and specific to Morocco, rather than to any other country in North Africa or the Middle East. Uh, partly because there was a social protest, but it was a peaceful protest in Morocco, not a violent protest. You mentioned about the limitation, uh, self-limitation, self-constraints of people who are protesting. They protest, and in fact that protest is still going on today in Rabat. You, in the Moroccan capital you have people protesting in front of parliament, but orderly. There is, there is a law to be uh, respected. As long as you do not do anything illegal, you have the right to protest. There is that protest and it's on a daily basis sometimes uh, from all spheres of uh, life in Morocco, whether they are teachers, whether they are uh, civil servants, whether they are uh, people from the even security forces sometimes they, uh, they want to, to protest as well and they want their, their uh, uh, voices to be heard. So that process is always peaceful. And that makes it rather uh, different from any protest in North Africa and the Middle East. Is that the case? Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I would say uh, cases are sets of, um, of features. So in a way, every case is, is particular and specific. 
but at the same time, because there are cases are sets of features, they are comparable. And I think Morocco is comparable and and has to be because if we work as social scientists and uh, this is the, the idea of the whole book and my whole work is about comparison. And for example, this is why I borrowed the idea of self-limitation to, uh, to uh, post-Marxist theory or also to to a very insightful piece of work by Michel Dobry uh, was the uh, with a, a French prominent political sociologist and uh, the article his article was written about uh, a student movement in France is in 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 86 but can we push you a bit on Moroccan specificities or not empirically for example, uh, in the book we have with Michel Camus, we have a very comparable case about this question of self-limitation and of peaceful protest. And it's the, the neighbor and, uh, as we say, pays frère in, in, in French Moroccan, it's Algeria. Well, we, you, you, you have uh, probably no death in 2011. And you have this question, and as I mentioned yesterday, there is a, a very important and beautiful article by Leila Barmara about how uh, the, uh, the mobilization in 2011 didn't, uh, didn't uh, go out of bounds, also in Algeria. Um, so the, the, this idea of self-limitation and self-restraint, both on the side of uh, security forces and of protesters, is something that you can you can find in many uh, in many places uh, in the world probably. Um, um, what about Tunisia, Libya, Egypt? <coughs> um, but I think on this question of self uh, limitation, uh, the the thing is is a bit rather different because pro uh, in these cases uh, protest. Uh, um, reveal the, the, the emergence of the unexpected. Uh, pr the whole set of protests you, we, we had in December 2010 and then in January 2011 in Tunisia was totally unexpected. And this was part of, of their strength. The idea that uh, for many people it was impossible. Until, until, until. Okay. Uh, I was going to just... Uh, Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. No, go well, you can follow up if you want. Uh, uh, okay, I was just going to actually. Uh, he mentioned the uh, case of uh, Algeria didn't sort of uh, take off, but there was a reason why it didn't take off because the government actually raised the salaries of the uh, security forces and also got all the protesters to uh, pre present the government or the authorities with a business plan so they can actually have some money from the government and they did so when you got the money and if you protest again I'm going to ask you for the money back <laughs> and that's up to the present it has worked very well mm. that's the reason mm. uh, yeah, well, thank you very much uh, for the presentation very interesting uh, my name is Lorenzo Feltri and I'm a PhD student at the University of Work and um, yeah, my question I wanted to ask it now because it's a bit related to the issue of comparison. Uh, because uh, in the very beginning of the article, um, you kind of set up the question of uh, why there was no major uprising in Morocco as compared to Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, Syria, or Bahrain. 
Um, so that kind of created in me the expectation to read something about it in the conclusion, uh, kind of drawing some conclusion from the evidence you present in the article on this kind of question that you make in the beginning. And also, if I'm thinking about Egypt, although I'm not an expert in depth of what happened uh, before the Arab Spring, um, it seems to me that the movement like Ifaya also was aware of the dangers of repression and so would uh, put in place self-limitation by avoiding violence, for instance. But this trend of self-limitation in Tunisia and Egypt uh, broke down, while in Morocco it did not. So, do you, do you see, first of all, do you see, uh, you know, mobilizations in Egypt before your spring as cases of uh, self-limitation, just as in Morocco, and also then how do we deal with the fact that this pattern broke down in Egypt and in Tunisia, what do we do? Yeah. If I may, yeah, I, I wrote something about Kefaya in 2006, I think, but it's in French, uh, I'm sorry. And it was about self-limitation, uh, even of the Muslim brothers, because uh, if you remember, in the, the 2005 elections, they they didn't um, uh, launch a, a national campaign. I think it was like uh, around uh, 500 uh, seats, and they only yeah. had the candidates in 150 or something. Well, they had shadow candidates also, which could pop up if the the official candidate was. Uh, was arrested or some or something, but they, 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 they even restrained their their participation, which was also the case in 2007 with the Moroccan uh, Justice and Development Party, which didn't uh, launch uh, a, a national campaign, preferring to self-restrain in in the, the, the most important interest of the country, which was this was the the, the, the control of the party. Uh, but but yes, the, the one of the question is how uh, the um, how you pass from situations of, of, of self limitation to 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 the emergence of the unexpected, which we which is what happened in in uh, in, in Egypt. And uh, you you there is a very nice um, film by uh, on Al Jazeera who. Which broadcast the the organizers of of the first protest, and it, it's it's the night, and they are watching TV, and they are totally uh, impressed by by what they have set in motion, and this is a very good moment where you you say you can see uh, in in practices uh, and on their faces the, the, that they uh, the um, yeah things are are going. Uh, um, out of bounds, the, the train is is going out of the the, the, the right way. Um, but it's it's a sum of, of uh, small individuals, uh, individual um, actions also. It's like uh, uh, you've got uh, aggregation effects. Yes, uh, but I, if it's a sum of many individual actions that happen at the same time, that kind of seems to require a more uh, sociological explanation rather than just staying at the individual level? Yes, of course. But uh, you have the idea that many people at one time calculate that things are getting possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, thank you.
for, for various reasons, mm. uh, which are depending of the, 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 the place they, from where they are thinking, uh, their area, the uh, things which are happening in one area and not in another, and, and so on and so on. Thank you. Well, it's just uh, <coughs> wondering. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Because yeah. this name, I haven't seen any. Yeah, other. exactly. That's why I didn't want to take yeah. word for that. Mm. Uh, uh, about the various points that you, ca you raised in your in your introduction, one one of them was actually the women's movement, and there was <coughs> quite a revolution within Morocco itself. In fact, a revolution not only in Morocco in the Arab world, when Morocco adopted a new Mudawana, which is sort of an important. Uh, constitution for women gave them the right in everything and that is the first in the Arab world so that is a social well after Tunisia uh, during Bourguiba uh, yes <laughs> at the time and then it, it sort of was limited afterwards uh, during Ben Ali's uh, uh, mandate the other one is about the, uh, the Islamists so is the question about the, the, the women's movement, are you saying it wasn't self-limited, especially given the opposition it faced? I mean, that therefore it was raising quite dramatic demands. Is that, is that the point? They, that they point? were, and then it was, and, and it was adopted by the government. I, 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 the I, king I, actually I, adopted a new, yeah, a new uh, mm -hmm. uh, constitution for the women, and it's called Muduwana, it's a sort of Islamic sure. uh, uh, Rules, as it were. But, but maybe we could try and get Frédéric's comment on that. I mean, if that's the or, point. Or yeah. some other questions? Yeah, yes. Or, um, I mean, my question is because uh, I'm, I am a bit, uh, I'm not clear on the concept. And, and um, I wanted to ask I mean, it's self limited compared to what? Is it self limited compared to the intent of the activists? Is it self-limited compared to the range of possible actions that could be taken but are not being taken? Or is it self-limited compared to what we should expect from the structure of power and the larger context within which activism is happening? So I'm a bit concerned because uh, what, what, what's self-limited compared to what? And of course people are cautious, of course they're prudent, of course you have strategy. But I'm also worried if it's a very portable concept and you can use it everywhere, because then what's the, what's the purchase of it? Because, I mean, there is something about Morocco, Jordan, Kuwait. I mean, you have these kinds of limited mobilizations. Surely they're different to Egypt, Bahrain, Syria, Tunisia. I mean, isn't there a specificity that you need to capture? But I suppose that's a separate question. But that, that's my... I don't really understand what people are being self-limited. I mean, are they underneath they're revolutionary but no no in practice they're terribly cautious because that doesn't seem to be the case right is it the case that that the context uh, but, but in reality the context is that sure they could raise much more radical demands but they don't uh, I'm not sure that's the case either because uh, I mean as you know there are certain so anyway I wanted to raise that question but that's a, another question so we have the women that question and then and then there's more yes Great. Shall I start? Yeah. yeah. I was just wondering whether, I mean, I had two questions. Uh, one was, what's the level of corruption in, in, the, uh, in the protest movements themselves? 
I mean, is it something that they take into consideration, or they're just very idealists? They want certain demands, certain legislation. And what role does corruption play? Because it seems to me that you know they are dealing with corruption. You know they you know they can't escape that. Uh, and the second question I had is maybe a little bit um, naive. But I'm just wondering whether it's possible to choreograph a protest movement. To, to what? To choreograph it, to sort of create one. So, so say the state security forces create a revolution just from the top of their heads by moving that actor and producing that actor. Because it seems to me, like reading what's happening in Egypt, that it seems to be like a play within a play within a play. Because if you look back at the television broadcasts of people who were confidants of Mubarak. They talk about a choreography, you know, what happens in, when Mubarak suddenly dies. Oh, we're going to create a protest, and then suddenly uh, Gamal looks like the savior. Well, that looks like a repetition of what happened a bit later. So I'm just wondering whether it is possible to choreograph something within within the context. It's just the top of my head. Perhaps it's what Neil Ketchley calls elite facilitated protest. But anyway. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my question is also regarding uh, the concept of uh, self-limitation. Um, I was wondering why specifically we could talk about this concept in Morocco. What, is it because of the years of the lead and the Hassan II? Maybe people are just scared? Or is it because of religion, because the king is associated with uh, Islam and the commander of the faithful? Or is it maybe just because people are happy and they feel that their needs are being met? I mean, what makes Moroccans more self-limited than uh, Egyptians or Libyans? That's my question. Okay, thanks so much. Um, um, I'm... I'm in a way, I, I'm coming back again to the, uh, the, the, the broader discussion with uh, social movement studies and, and, uh, and, and the sociology of, of contentious politics. One of the, the, the things I was not very at ease with when I was reading these, these bunches of work was um, it was uh, the scholar uh, who was always defining the, con the context not activists and uh, he, to, to take uh, up on John's question uh, scholars were defining the range, the range of actions uh, I have chosen to be as attentive and to as possible to how people were uh, perceiving the context of, of their action which means um, contexts are different from one group to another uh, it's not the same if you are uh, uh, an activist at Justice and Beneficence, the, one of the largest Islamist organizations in the country, or in a woman NGO, or uh, a human rights activist at the, the Moroccan Association of Human Rights, or at the uh, Justice and Development Party uh, and trying to run and, and, and win as many voices uh, as you can in a campaign. So um, I was not defining the, the context, but I, I was trying to reconstruct uh, 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 meaningful context for activists. 
And again, I was not defining the range of action. For example, uh, on the question of, uh, of, of, of the importation and, and it's linked to the, the to um, now all question of links between activists and cross-national ties between between groups. Uh, uh, leaders of the Moroccan Truth and, uh, and Justice Forum were quite aware of uh, the, uh, um, a North, uh, uh, a Latin American, and an Argentine uh, practice uh, which is called escraches. And uh, basically, you go to the house of uh, someone uh, suspected to be um, uh, to have um, tortured people or make them disappear. And then you shout, you paint his house with uh, the duel, with red and black, you're uh, throwing eggs and uh, distributing leaflets in, in the, the area um, and explaining that your nice neighbor is in fact um, um, someone who has killed people and so on and so on. And then they explain me, well, for various reasons, and at least there were two, uh, we, we choose not to use that. One was because uh, they evaluated the, the, the strength of these people in the global architecture of the regime at the time. And the other was uh, just um, a legal principle of uh, respecting uh, the possibility that, that someone uh, who has not been convicted is still innocent until he has been convicted. But they, they knew they could have done that. And, and they choose not to. Uh, this was also the same uh, with the justice and beneficence uh, 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 choice not to not to go to to the street at at, at various moments, and uh, they had a very legalist uh, stance at the time, and 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 they were quite explicit uh, of explaining they were not anarchists. They did, didn't want to destabilize the country and so on and so, on. because also there is a there is a, like a, a political profit. Of uh, showing how uh, they are respectful of older and uh, serious people. Um, um, one of the the, the 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 huge or the broad, I, I could say, methodological or epistemological principle I have when I'm dealing with uh, politics is that politics is never a puppet show or a, uh, a, a puppet theater, uh, which means that uh, authorities don't uh, manipulate everything. It's not a shadow play. Uh, even in Egypt, when you have like millions of people going to the streets, it's not like because uh, the army is manipulating people. And you can you cannot manipulate millions of people and ask them to go to the street and so on. Because y what you can calculate, and it's the problem of everybody trying uh, to launch a coup d'état. You can calculate the first move, you can have the clue about the second, but then, you, you, when you are sitting and launching a mobilization, you, you only master part of the broader environment and the system of action, if I may, of, 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 of the, the action. And sometimes it works, and in many other times it fails. Uh, before coming to, to, to this room, I had uh, li like uh, a broad expectation of what could happen. But I don't know, uh, someone could have uh, asked that the seminar is cancelled, or 
no one could have showed up, and so on and so on. So uh, with John, we 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 we, we plotted the, the 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 beginning of the the thing, but the rest is uh, is not depending on us. We tried to organize a protest to get publicity. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. And 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 also uh, and it's it's uh, it's when you're writing, it's like when you are uh, trying to launch a, a movement. Uh, you're depending of the logics of the people who are receiving what you're writing. And I think if I have send the, the, the paper to the Department of Literature or of uh, Physics, uh, there, there would have been uh, very various uh, ways to read the paper from, from the logics of the, the, the reader. Um, I think so I've there's still uh, the corruption I've and maybe the women's movement, I'm not sure. But I think you dealt with the choreography and the self-limitation. Oh. <coughs> uh, about woman movement. Well, there, there were huge debates uh, in, uh, in 2000, in March, before March 2000, about uh, should we, uh, uh, the, the woman movement, and should we uh, have the demonstration or not? Because at the time, uh, because one, the, 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 the march, the demonstration in Rabat, was um, um, uh, was not forbidden by by authorities. Um, uh, the opponents to the to the national integration plan of women in development. It's not a very good translation. I mean, the government governmental plan who was um, uh, aiming to. Uh, reform the personal co status code, but it was only eight measures in eight features of the plan, eight, eight points uh, on, on, a, on a huge list, and also empowering women uh, and so on. The League for the Defense of the Moroccan Family launched and asked to have a march, a demonstration, the very same day in Casablanca. And so there were debates uh, should we cancel the march? not to open uh, literally the streets to the Islamists. And uh, th you had the same kind of, uh, of debates when it was, uh, w w when the case was to organize uh, sit-ins uh, on the 8th, Mar 8th of March uh, in front of the parliament. Because at the time, some activists of the movement were in fact playing in the election arena. And so they wanted not to appear as too much activist because they were in serious politics. And uh, as uh, one of my, the, 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 the lady which I was, who I was talking with uh, told me, you know, uh, one of us uh, could appear in a TV show without aiding uh, the, the, the 8 uh, March uh, sign and, and the minister of the woman condition at the sign. So uh, you can see the kind of, in a way, self-limitation that you was at play at the moment. Some somewhere playing in the institutional arena, and not in the activist one. So this is uh, again uh, probably one of the signs of this question of uh, of limitation. And the question over here was. Uh, Explaining self-limitation, is it fear, is it legitimacy, is it money, what is it? Um, there are multiple reasons and factors. One is, is 
um, in a way, the, the political and the physical defeat of uh, most of Moroccan activists uh, who have been suffered uh, of uh, human rights violations in, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And so they, 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 they bear the, these, these political pasts and memories. Um, uh, this is one point. Another, uh, at, it was working, I think, it was, uh, and it was appearing in interviews and discussion I could have with activists um, at the beginning of the 2000s. And, for example, with women uh, movement, uh, they were fearing of a, an Algerian scenario. Which means we we open the street to Islamists and and they would we they would took to the street take to the street and 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 and. But what is striking is at the same moment at the very same moment, uh, Islamists decided not to 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 take too many time to the streets, or if they do so, they were organizing like in in December two thousand uh, sit-ins, uh, which sometimes were quite crushed by uh, by the police, but they were only organizing sit-ins. Um, so, um, and there is also, yeah, the part of this, like the, the kind of uh, the, the Algerian scenario, but it, it's something else. It is also, and it is linked to a point um, who was uh, raised by Nawal uh, earlier in the discussion. It is the idea also to appear as uh, as serious people or uh, as people uh, which are respectable. And uh, this, this is uh, very much the case with, uh, with the way the Moroccan Association for Human Rights is organizing the, 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 its actions. And so they, they begin at the time, they end at the set time, they have a list of, of slogans, so, and they don't want anyone to break the sit-in. Uh, there is at the end a speech by the, the president, and then they ask people to... To, to, to go away. And and they notice the authorities by their leaflets or to in the press. So it is extremely precisely organized. Uh, and and to, to them it's like uh, being a good activist or I, I may say a, a good militant uh, is like being precise, uh, being uh, being on time. Um, uh, and and uh, this is this idea of, of being very leg legalist, if you want. Even though if if, if the, the the stake of the the, the, the action is uh, quite uh, disruptive or or contentious, but they, they want to make the thing yes. following the forms. Uh, I was wondering, and how far you would say that those self-limiting protests then also become normalized by the state. Because, for example, especially with the sit-ins in Rabat, there's always someone protesting for something. So the response of the people is like, what are they protesting now for? So it becomes a bit of a, yeah, somebody's protesting. And also this, like, what, what I heard a lot was, like, we don't want to be another Libya. We don't want to be another Algeria. So we keep calm, and, like, the king will take care of things. But then that's very, I know, that is so limiting that, it already sounds almost like a, I don't know, that's what the state wants you to think, right? That if you don't, if you protest and if you don't, uh, like, yeah, you can suggest things, but always keep, like, the status quo in mind, because otherwise you'll be another Libya. Otherwise there will be anarchy and chaos and 
and then there's always a stability point to it. Yeah, if you want, that's a, a bit, it's, it's in the package or it's the reverse, um, depending on the point of view. Of um, of what I call the, the institutionalization of the, the contentious space in Morocco, because there is like a, a, um, from routinization, yes, there is a, um, a loss of of disruption, of course, and uh, I think th this is the, the one of the problem of the idea of a, a, so a society of social movement, uh, and um, at the beginning, but uh, it was too long for the editor. I wanted to 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 to, to title the book um, um, a protest regime, which is both the idea that uh, people are protesting, but uh, uh, the, the the contentious the, the contentious space, the contentious arena, is in fact part of the regime, in the way that uh, you can't you cannot understand what is happening in Morocco if you don't have a look to what is happening in this. Uh, arena in this space and it is also a constraint, a permanent constraint on authorities. It, it, it is not and it, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make things clear in the paper that it's uh, equilibriums are never set once forever and, and, and everybody is fearing of uh, something happening even authorities. So the constraint works in both directions. It, it, it's, it's not something like uh, in a Foucauldian perspective you would say very uh, very easily well it's securitized or something something. Uh, it works in, in both directions because it's not very easy to have people even if they do how to make it protesting everywhere every day. And, and authorities have to take that to, into account. Mm -hmm. For example, there is a very small city, but who has been lasting for the past four years, in a small village in the south of Morocco. It's young people keeping a, um, a big uh, water tap shut. And uh, because it is uh, bringing water to a mine, and uh, the mine is a belonging of the, old, of the royal belonging. But uh, since four years, they, are, they have been keeping the, the water tap. Would you say water? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Shut because it's bringing water to the segues of the of the village and so on and so on. So uh, this is a very constraint because uh, even it's uh, it's in a remote place, you can just uh, remove the people and have the water flooding to for the mine, whatever the, the people uh, who uh, the the mine would be belonging to. So uh, it's not something like uh, it's not only choreographies; it's real life and real people, and real people who are beating, beaded, for example, so at times. Yeah, well, you have something. Yeah, just two quick comments uh, that your what you just said um, raised some thoughts for me. I think you are onto something, and I think I wanted to bring in the IR literature, especially in what's called governmentality studies, because That's they high have praise from Nawel, by the way. You're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyways, in terms of the regime constituting the space for what seems like civil society and even NGO involvement, and it kind of brings to mind this idea of power, you know, in your framework of you know how 
does it have a role to play, you know, even theoretically and empirically of what you're saying, and how would you conceptualize that power apparatus? Um, because for me, IR governmentality studies, what they've done is challenge the idea of civil society mobilizing against the regime, rather than the space itself being constituted by certain relations of power that connect the regime in broader global networks and relations of power and whatnot. Um, so I just wondered if that affects some of the dynamics of how these activists work, on the one hand. Two, it also brings to mind the issue of global order and discourse, as I was mentioning in the first instance, and how that kind of enables and constrains local understandings. Um, and so I guess it connects my second question real quick, in that when you mentioned these activists in prison had read about you know, distant movements in the Soviet Union, I was wondering, in terms of self-limitation, is it that they actually do envision themselves as revolutionaries, but a new type of revolutionary that's like a negotiated or democratic self-limited revolution? Mm -hmm. And thus, if you open up the discourse for analysis, especially in Arabic or even French, would it show that the meaning of revolution is actually changing for these activists? And in that regard, you're right. The contentious politics scholars, as well as the social movement theorists, you know, they tend to impose their understanding of what revolution is. They stabilize the definition. They do not open up the discourse for analysis. Whereas if you did, you actually could map if the global was affecting it, if the changing international context is you know, affecting the meaning and practice of it. Or on the other hand, is it that they're completely rejecting that? They're saying, we are not revolutionaries. We are not doing what these guys are doing. We are doing self-limited reform. Um, you know, I just was, was wondering if you could clarify that a bit. Yeah. And, can, and there's somebody else before, can we bring in? Yes. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, thank you very much um, for this presentation and also for all the ideas that you brought in. I'm basically working on a similar, in the similar space, but I'm reading it differently. So this for me is like a woodstock, but I'm self-limiting myself. <laughs> <laughs> Like Woodstock, you said. Uh, well, I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like but, so I have zillions of questions, and a lot of them have been already touched upon. But basically, probably for me at this stage, the most um, prominent one would be um, the actual dynamics between the institutionalized and the what you called contentious space, what I call in my work informal area, informal politics. And... Um, I haven't really thought of the question as a question, but I would like you to, if you could just elaborate more on this, because if we're talking about institutionalizing contentious space, then how is it contentious in that regard? And then it also brings me um, to another point. Uh, I like the idea that you introduced about the continuity as, as it has been promoted through social movement studies the continuity between the resistance leading into contentious. And actually what I ha I'm having problems with is you're having problems with the element of resistance in it. I'm having problems with the element of the form of contention. Because for me, how I'm reading it is that there doesn't need to be resistance as such, and there's always contention, because contention is defined by alternative ideas rather than by, you know, attacking or targeting certain power structures. And in this regard, actually, also my work um, pretty much evolves around the relations and the forms, and different forms, varied forms of relations to the state. 
do you have to actually target the state to be called resistant, to be called contentious? So these are just thoughts, and I have some things more, so I'll just stop here and just let you elaborate. Uh, I I don't know the international relation literature and government ability, but maybe I should be uh, I should talk more to my my colleagues at OWU because they are very good specialists uh, on this matter. So I I should uh, have more than lunches uh, conversations with them and more uh, 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 professional uh, conversations. Uh, even, and this is to mention that they are uh, uh, remarkable colleagues. Um, what happened in prison? Uh, prison is never a black box uh, which you, you, you get out uh, either crushed or uh, radicalized. Uh, this is very, very, very simple ideas about what is happening in prisons and uh, uh, Morocco is a very good case of, of multiple relations and uh, events which happened in during the, the, the uh, people are, uh, were uh, in prison. Um, they were extremely, uh, when they had access to the to press and to books and this was a way to have them uh, uh, quiet in prison. Uh, uh, it was easier to have uh, students in prison than uh, activists. So uh, they were allowed to, to read the press and uh, to many of them to, to, read, uh, to read and some of them have uh, like uh, uh, done uh, degrees, university degrees and so on and so on. Um, they were extremely and very well aware about what was happening in what was the reference to them. I mean... Uh, the, the question of, uh, of the, war, the, the, the Cold War and what was happening uh, in, in the East. Uh, and one of the things, and this reminds us to the, the, the transformations of international context, is the, the apparition of human rights in, in the political lexicon. And, and they, they reframed, in a way, their, their struggles uh, in, in the human rights uh, lexicon. Uh, for example, uh, at the time, uh, uh, explaining to them they were victims would have them at, uh, at least love. They would have been laughing because they didn't understand them as victims. They were activists, militants, revolutionary who were uh, fighting against, uh, um, as we said at the time, a. Um, bourgeois comprador regime uh, uh, and in, in French would, would have said valet de l'imperialisme and so on and so on. Um, so uh, the, 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 for example the victim category appeared much more in relation to human rights struggles and with his uh, cross-national ties with Latin America for example. So uh, they, they understood or they, they felt the international context and the international, the broader international context had changed and they, they, they were reframing their struggles with new aims, new targets and a new understanding of what was the political 
and uh, how they would uh, be struggling. This is one 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 part of the exp of, of of the broader picture. The other one was at the time one of the only arenas where it was possible to still be an activist because at the time the 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 whole bunch of uh, uh, Leninist organizations, for example, leftist leftist organization, were all banned. Uh, was to to join human rights association. So um, yeah, they, they they thought that the international context has changed, that the Soviet Union was crumbling, uh, that they had to re-understand their struggles and and their relation to Marxism and communism, and to the revolution. This was more or less the same uh, with Islamists. Uh, who reframed the idea of uh, from uh, revolution to to Islamic reform uh, from in uh, the, the the group of the seventy one is is quite a good example of his uh, reframing and reunderstanding of of Islamist uh, activists and militants and how they they reunderstand their uh, their their, their struggles and their their political activity. <coughs> um, when I'm talking about institutionalization, it's also about the way uh, networks of mobilization are uh, are strengthened and and organized, uh, and um, and the way, for example, the the NGO form is is. Uh, is thought as the only way to to organize, and I had uh, very impressive discussions with uh, some leaders of the Moroccan Truth and Forum, uh, Truth and Justice Forum, about how how they would organize the various families of political detainees and and so on, Islamists, former leftists, uh, families of disappeared persons, and so on and so on. And uh, to them, it was a second best choice. The NGO was, uh, but they, at the time they said, well, we, we wanted to, to make things quite quick, and so it was easier to, to make an NGO, but they, they were never really at ease with the, the, this way to, to organize. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, you don't need to resist and then to, to, to be contentious. For, for many people, uh, they are activists. They were militants, but uh, they would not. Uh, they would never write anything on on the wall. They, they they don't need to resist. They are activists. They are uh, political actors. Uh, but at the same time, there is a beautiful article by uh, my 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 colleague Lamiazaki, who who very precisely shows how uh, people living in in slums are resisting on a daily basis because uh, even their house is illegal. The, their whole life is illegal. They, they don't have to be there. They, 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 they should not use the water they are using. They should not use the electricity they are using. And when, once these goods, electricity, the right to life, the right to have a decent living, if, we, if I may, uh, is attacked, then they contest. They are not resisting. It's public, it's going public, 
they are uh, in a contentious stance with authorities, be it uh, the police, uh, the, 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 the electricity company, the power company, uh, uh, the communal uh, authorities of Casablanca, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the problem is uh, after years of uh, explaining that power is everywhere, uh, there is a new trend explaining that uh, everybody is resisting. I'm resisting, you're resisting, everybody is resisting. Uh, but uh, this is, I think this is a misreading of, uh, of Scott, because the idea he has about hidden transcripts and uh, resistance is extremely, he's an historian and, a, and, and an anthropologist. He's not like a, uh, proposing big generalizations. He's not a political scientist. He, he only has a foot in the, the political science department at Yale. At Yale. The other is, he, is in anthropology. He knows uh, how, uh, uh, what is the, the, the real people uh, living. But at the same time, at the end of the book, there is uh, like uh, a few lines about Solidarność, the, 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 pol the Polish uh, trade union, and uh, he, he makes the contrary of what he made during the whole books. He says, well, there were uh, songs, uh, practices, uh, uh, folklores, uh, traditions, and then we had the, 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 the trade union. Of course, the things are much more complicated, and, and it's not like uh, it was not so easy, and uh, the, you, you don't go from the folklore and songs and poetries and uh, daily life to the training and there, there were things at, at play which were quite different from just uh, writing uh, uh, like that on, on, on a paper so I think the the, the, the problem is even in, in, in this uh, small piece of, uh, of Scott's work where is self-contradicting himself in a way. But the whole book is very cautious about uh, what resistance is, what hidden transcripts are, and that, for example, slaves were only uh, acting contentiously at very, very few moments and in very, very uh, uh, precise and limited situations. Yeah. Well, uh, just a comment. Uh, when once you were on the question on the explanations for self-limitation, you said uh, well, the movements had been crushed by the regime in the past. Uh, there was a fear of an Algerian scenario, and also there is a will to appear respectable. But again, if you look at this in a comparative perspective, well, I mean, we know that the social movements in Tunisia and Egypt were also crushed heavily in the past. Mm, we imagine that they were probably aware of happened in Algeria were also fearful of possible consequences in that direction. And you know, why wouldn't they want to appear respectable? Uh, so I mean I have a little bit of a uh, hypothesis that I'm working on, but it's the very in an embryonic stage uh, that you started, but your uh, former co editor Joel Benian kind of has been uh, making the point that the role of labor has been been neglected in the broader academic literature on the issue. Um, so could it be the case that because of the history of labor-state relations in Tunisia and Egypt, the 
trade union confederation, lost control of the rank and file, and workers in general, and that changed the assessment by the activists of the balance of power and made them sort of more daring. While in Morocco, because you had many different scattered trade unions that were more independent from the regime, they kind of were up for negotiation and were seen by the base as credible negotiators. Mm. And so as you say in the beginning <coughs> of the article, the movement uh, couldn't have the support of the base of the tribunal or the trade unions, and this kind of pushed them more towards uh, self-limitation. Uh, is that compatible with your way of seeing it, or is it incompatible? Um, well, there are different things and different ways to, to answer the question. Well, um, first we have two quite different periods of time when, when the, the, the cases of the beginning of the paper are unfolding. Uh, it's it's the, the, the beginning or the, the end of the 90s and the beginning of the, the 2000s. And then I think in 2011, uh, the, 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 the regional context, the lo local national context were, was a, a, a bit different. Uh, I'm not so sure about the way anything like uh, an Egyptian trade union could have been uh, organizing or not organizing workers because uh, ETAF was uh, not something as a trade union. It was a, 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 a piece of the regime. Yeah, but it was yeah, something, so a large organization that workers could lose faith in and therefore protest and that failed to act as yeah. an incorporate. Yeah, but it was quite a long time ago that <laughs> <laughs> workers knew that HF was, uh, but, was isn't, but still in Morocco it's a different trade union structure right I mean no uh, yes but at the same time most of my activists uh, um, even some of them are involved in trade unions are like separating uh, actions in what is uh, related to labor and trade unionism and uh, their activist uh, or more political if I may but of course uh, defending the rights rights of, of workers is, is something political but uh, more um, human rights uh, um, memory of the years of lead and the repression uh, related questions uh, and then, if if things unfolded the way you know if they they did in 2011, it is also because you had the, the this past of mobilization and of political learning on both sides, the authorities and and, and activists, which was not not at all the case in Tunisia, where. Uh, even if we we want to use the the, the 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 notion, there was no nothing as civil society, five six NGOs if you want, and uh, and also in Egypt. So uh, there was a very few organizations able to mobilize. And and everybody was surprised because uh, the mobilization was uh, a way and a part of uh, organization in in 2011 in in, in Egypt. 
even the Muslim brothers, they, they, they didn't understand and, and they did not understand what was happening, and they would have uh, loved to have more control on the way things were happening, but uh, they were uh, uh, people were faster than them. And uh, Jules Benin has, has explained quite well that the, the, the few NGOs who were taking care of workers were totally unable to organize anyone or any uh, yeah, anything. Yeah, to kind of reinforce the point I was making, because I was talking about the big trade union losing control of the base uh, while this didn't happen in Morocco. I mean, from what I've read, uh, the day after the 20th of February, the first thing the Moroccan king did was convening the trade unions and saying, uh, look, if you give me political moderation, I will give you economic concessions. And yeah. they were up for that. Uh, and, you know, and, and the base went with them. And also in uh, Tunisia and Egypt, the peak of the regime uh, convened with the peak of the trade union organization and said, uh, I'm going to give you concessions on the economic level, but you have to keep under control. Uh, your constituencies, uh, both the members and the workers there. Uh, but the peak of the trade union was not able to deliver this moderation, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I, I understood you, I understand you better now. Yeah, yeah, you, you, I agree with you, you're, you're true, yeah. This, and also uh, the, the same explanation works for political parties. Yeah. They choose to play the, 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 the Paris game and not the, the, the street game because uh, they were much more interested in, in uh, uh, seats in the next parliament or in the next government. Okay. Yeah. Which, which can explain now uh, today that we have the former Communist Party uh, who was mm -hmm. uh, calling for uh, a ban against uh, the people they are working in, in the government in, to, uh, in 2003 after the, 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 the Casablanca attacks. Can I, can I just mention about the, actually, uh, the Casablanca attacks in 2004? Wasn't that uh, a turning point, for instance, about the, uh, the Islamist uh, movement fading away after that? Because it was a wake-up call for the people that here you are, uh, you have a, a movement that was actually against the Mudawana, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Mudawana is the, uh, the family law, the, uh, the family code. Uh, which was very liberal, gave women uh, equality uh, within the, uh, the country between men and women, which they did not have before. And then the 2004 uh, Casablanca terrorist attack. Uh, I think it was in 2003. It was before, uh, 2003. It was before yeah. that report. Yeah, Yes, the, the, the movement was before, mm. but the, uh, uh, the turning point was actually the Casablanca uh, terrorist attack. Uh, which was, um, as I said, a uh, wake-up call for the people to see that here you are, we were being driven by the Islamists to go their way and this is what happens. So people actually changed directions as well. So when the 20th uh, movement came along, uh, it did, the uh, 20th February movement, it did obviously had an impact and the impact was that the, uh, with, with the um, political parties as well as the trade unions and that led to the uh, amendment of the constitution which became more, it's not obviously a perfect constitution but it's a, a step forward towards uh, more democratic uh, principles being adopted uh, by the regime. Isn't that sort of a turning point in the, uh, in the concept of uh, contentious dynamics? Mm. 
Yeah, what was striking at the time when, when the, 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 the reform passed in Parliament was everybody, even people who were against before, uh, uh, was, was uh, okay with the reform. Even, even people who were very, uh, who voiced uh, strongly against, uh, with two exceptions. Uh, and the two were about, not about the content of the reform, but the way it was uh, adopted in Parliament, and it was uh, the Moroccan Association for Human Rights, who was uh, uh, bringing on the table uh, international law and covenant, and the Justice and Beneficence uh, Organization, uh, which is uh, tolerated and banned at the same time, who was explaining... Uh, well, we don't have problem with uh, with the reform, but uh, it all again demonstrates the domination of the king on the political field and in society. And this is the problem we have. And if you solve the first problem, then women will be uh, liberated. Because this organization had a quite different stance on the question of women's condition and status in the Moroccan society, which you could uh, you could see in. In uh, debates with you, where you had uh, people from this organization and people from the Justice and Development Party, and uh, the, the people in the party were uh, very conservative, and they, they don't hide about their conservatism because uh, they, they, it is one of their arguments. We are conservative. We are tradi for tradition. And the others, the Islamists from uh, Justice and Beneficence Organization, they, they were like, well, we have to reread Quran and to to help women. Um, uh, liberate uh, themselves, and in a way, uh, they they have they are in a in a post-Islamist or uh, Islamist feminism uh, position, which they, they would not recognize because uh, there are over stakes, political stakes, and uh, political stance po problems. But uh, they they had no problem with the idea of uh, reforming uh, the, the 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 code. Uh, the problem was about the condition of of, of, of Moroccan women, which is uh, another thing. You can change uh, the, the things in, in the law, but uh, if you don't empower women and change their condition, their social, their economic condition, then uh, uh, you you will you will have still have problems. But these are more, I would say, discrete dynamics which are uh, unfolding and if you want to hear more uh, about that you, you should read uh, the, the beautiful ethnographic book by Leila Bouasfreya about women working in Casablanca and the way they are renegotiating their wars and their position in society, in families uh, through their, 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 their work and their economic condition. Which was which was a part of the debate uh, on on the, the personal status code. What is the, the socio-economic condition of women? How do you Thanks. spell this? Layla. Layla. Uh, it's Bouasria. B O U A S R E A. Layla. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, context of power and where it starts and 
where it ends and exactly how you raise the point like where is resistance and where is power and power is everywhere, resistance is everywhere. And one of the troubles that I have reading social movement studies is that they somehow seem to, even though project a very um, you know, ideas about social movements, that they are they come in different colors and, and forms, they still seem to present a homogenized format of how they work. And I mean, I'm not a sociologist, so I don't care about that part. What I care is what implication it has on the political, on, on perceiving the political. And the reason why I'm asking this question is that I do uh, research on Salafi movements. And they are in themselves, I mean, they tend to throw them into this basket of social movement, and I'm not pretty quite sure. But they lead me then to the question of the relationship or dynamics between the social movement and the political party, when the two meet. But they meet in a certain you know, power-charged way, where you have Salafi sheikhs preaching one thing and Salafi politicians preaching another. And then they come down to the social movements asking for their votes in the politics. But what kind of politics? So there are all these issues that I have, and that brings me to the point that Nawal raised um, about the revo being revolutionary otherwise, and being revolutionary in terms of not targeting the state. So what sense can you help me to make out of this? Okay. <laughs> well, this is one of the... <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, it's yeah. like a never-ending circle, and I seem to never find a way out of it to even explain it. So this is one of the things I I, I, I would borrow uh, to the mainstream and to the to the, the to yeah 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 to Don't to concede. to to <laughs> to see Taro's uh, uh, book uh, the, the 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 second version boring movement and I like the idea of what is a social movement it is a series of continued contentious interactions where the state is maybe one of the players. Uh, it can be a spectator, or it can be a target, or it can just set uh, the, the, the rules of the game, or control, for example, by sending, sending the police to the street, and so on and so on. And uh, it is quite broad as a definition, but I think it is quite efficient, at least for the movements I am working on, and probably uh, this would be my uh, my um, historian bias uh, in other situations uh, this would not be a useful definition but for the few cases I've been working on it was uh, it was helpful um, and and there are many faces of of the the state which can be targeted. For example, uh, undergrad uh, unemployed graduates who would uh, target not the state or the government, but uh, the um, the the office of the the province, for example. Or uh, the communal, uh, the community council, asking for a job there. Um, 
this can be a state agency uh, this could be um, um, a ministry uh, this could be a political decision so there, there would have many well th there is no thing the, the, the my idea of the state is quite different from the definition you have in in law books uh, it's a set of agencies and actors and institutions and places and situation or if you want it's a it's a, net, a series of networks of power uh, this could be uh, a walking definition and I, I'm, I'm not so sure if I'm helping you and really answering to your question. No, no, no. I'm sorry. All right. So, I yes, right. Um Yeah, I suppose I'd like to kind of go back to something I know I raised right at the beginning, but I think it's kind of come up a couple of times in various forms and just came up again in terms of your answer of somebody. Uh, protesting at a regional office uh, and that being the state but I mean the, the question I have and this may well be my anthropologist hat entirely and firmly on my head but the question I had throughout the paper and, and with a number of your answers to questions has been whose definition of a thing because in, in that particular uh, interaction with somebody going to protest at a regional office then surely one of the most important if not the most important things is why that person, does that person themselves see that office as part of the state? What is the stake for that person in doing that thing? And in discussing self-limiting mobilization, this came up with John's question as well. I mean, the thing about a self-limiting mobilization is the self of it, right? So the thing, if, if we're going to discuss this in terms of self-limiting, then isn't the kind of key characteristic that we need to get a hold of, the perception uh, and whether the people themselves see this. Now, it may well be, and I think this is to a point where you were getting at by your conclusion, that actually the actors on whom you're doing research have a very, very good understanding of what it is that's available to them and that their perception of it is pretty much spot on with what is the reality of it. But I, I would kind of want to know much more about the kind of specifics of how they're perceiving this thing. And tied to that then, how far the way in which they perceive of their possibilities is affecting the possibilities that they in fact have, right? Because it may well be that they, uh, and, uh, it seems perfectly plausible that you know, they are so heavily NGOized in terms of their political perspectives or, or perspectives of possible kind of actions and, and forms that they can't really see beyond that and that therefore is the thing that means there's nothing beyond it, right? Because if you can't conceive of another way of doing things anymore, perhaps, then you can't do another thing, whether that might be possible or not, and hence to John's question of whether this is self-limiting because they can't see anything else, or whether they are only picking from certain possible things, even if they don't have the knowledge of it. I mean, if that's the case, then it's not particularly useful. But if it's a situation that they see themselves as explicitly choosing to do certain things, which I think is what you're getting at with the paper, then the question really does have to be, well, why do they see that? And there seem to be a couple of things that you brought up, one of which was Algeria, which seems fairly pressing, and much more so for Morocco, say, than Egypt. 
right, in terms of the fear of an Algeria happening in Morocco is much more uh, active, particularly for, you know, I, I would think, a lot of the non-Islamist actors in this kind of field. But then the other one is, and you, you mentioned this very, very briefly, the rule of law. And the fact that these people, even the ones who've been in prison, seem to think that you know, the rule of law is something worth upholding because it's the rule of law. If that's, if that's really the case in Morocco, that's the really interesting, kind of shocking element that makes Moroccan self-limited mobilization, specifically Moroccan, and therefore kind of have some purchase. Because, I mean, you know, my, my work is in Lebanon, and even amongst NGO types, people who explicitly see themselves as working within NGO parameters, the, the discussion of whether NGOized forms of politics are a general good thing or whether they can, in fact, change things is a really contentious point for people. That doesn't seem to be the case in Morocco. They, they seem to all kind of be quite happy to go, you know, human rights, that works, even if it doesn't seem to be. So, I mean, where is, where is, where is that whole realm of things? Where, where are people's interactions? Of what are their understandings going? I just really wanted to kind of be really clear in terms of the paper about when it is that it's your activists who have a particular idea about what it is they can do and where it's more what seems to be possible from an analyst's perspective. It may well be that they're more or less the same, but then that's in itself interesting because these activists seem to be very present, if that's the case. Um, thanks. Thanks a lot for the, the question. It's extremely engaging. Um, of course, uh, because the paper is also about political sociology, uh, there is like... Uh, going back and forth um, to the fieldwork and to empirics and uh, reframing it uh, in order to have a discussion uh, with the discipline and uh, in in this way I'm, I'm not at all an historian if you want uh, because I'm, I'm I'm using notions which have a an higher degree of of generality than than uh, um, than uh, historians uh, would allow. At least the historians I have in mind. Uh, if you want, yeah. Uh, as Paul Vane, uh, a French historian, about uh, the ancient Greek, is explaining. Uh, Sociology is uh, is only history with people uh, trying to talk the talk of science, uh, <laughs> if you want. Uh, people playing uh, scientists. Uh, well, is is quite is uh, quite moving and on the question. But um, so yeah, you you uh, um, self limitation is something. A notion, it's a native notion, circulating, but I also use it to reframe or to recast what I have understood from the practices, the way activists understand and, and perceive what is feasible, what is possible, what is forbidden. So, um, uh, of course, uh, at one moment or the other, you have to use concepts because uh, you you always, even if you are uh, uh, walking in the grounded theory way, you are starting with an idea. And my idea was to understand how social movements 
were working under uh, constraint and in authoritarian situation. This is the, the tribute to the political sociology or political science discipline, if you want. Uh, you have to, 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 to frame uh, who you are and what you're doing, and you, you're sti starting with something deductive at one moment or the other, but you have to start with, uh, with a concept or a notion, even if you let it apart then. So, why I am talking about self-limitation? Because I think that we can discuss it, and uh, uh, probably some other people uh, or activists or other scholars would discuss it, as, as we did tonight. Uh, I thought it was the notion who was the most helpful to understand, again, uh, this perception by activists of what was possible, the range of action which was acceptable, feasible, uh, the way they understood, uh, they understand constraints, and the way they understand the, the, not only the broader situation, but their political life, and for example, their conversion to human rights. And and there, there is to them a clear uh, difference between being a revolutionary and being uh, uh, a human rights activist. And for example, when they, they are describing what was happening in the 90s in Morocco, they say, well, we were like uh, uh, firemen, because there were too many things, too, too, too many cases, too many problems to treat that uh, we were there, we were here, uh, with disappeared person, people uh, getting out of prison, and so on and so on. And then they understood that uh, things were quite changing, and they could organize, and for example, have... Uh, uh, institutionalized NGOs, but also the way they are defining uh, uh, um, the, the, the human rights um, activism means you have to talk with authorities. And this is part of the, the, their self-definition. Even if it's uh, a contested way and it's, uh, it's part of the struggles and the way people are classifying uh, like uh, and uh, he's working with the regime, we are not, he's inside, he's outside, he's a nice person, he's a traitor, and so on and so on. Um, and uh, there is more about all of his struggles and self-definition struggles and competitions in the book. Uh, but the way is how, yeah, being, working with, as a human rights or a woman uh, rights activist means that at the end of the day you are interacting with authorities. All right, so uh, uh, just remains to thank you all very much for coming and uh, for those questions. And I, I, uh, I think that was a, a rich interrogation. I think you gave us an enormous <coughs> amount to think about. And, uh, and uh, you know, I look forward to seeing this. Uh, this uh, moving on and into publication, etc., and for the translations of your several books into many different languages, including Arabic. <laughs> and uh, so, thanks for coming. Thank you, Bubble, Frederick, and, and Noel, of course, for this uh, for that very stimulating and intelligent discussion. And uh, and uh, thank you, Frederick, for coming. You came a long way, and we really appreciated it. <coughs>